You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. It is time to welcome in our pal, Joel Klatt, lead college football analyst at Fox Sports. He joins us each and every week, presented by Audi Flatirons. Good morning, Joel. Good morning. What's going on, fellas? How are well, you guys doing? Yeah, we're doing great. We're just hashing it out. Hey, Mike came up with something yesterday or the day before that um, was kind of an intriguing question. And since you know, you know, Jim Harbaugh as well as anybody can know Jim Harbaugh, you probably know him as well as uh, his family knows him. Um, so mm-hmm. because you've met with him enough and, uh, you know, he's just, he's a strange duck. I, you know, we were thinking that there's only one dude that could probably out weird Russell Wilson and it's Jim Harbaugh. So what would be the what would be the odds of Jim Harbaugh understanding that hey man I've I've done a great job in Michigan I've I've taken the program to heights that uh, a lot of people didn't think it ever reach again. Um, maybe I go scratch that itch in the NFL again. What would be the odds of the Broncos being able to entice him with a huge contract to come away from college football and back to the NFL? Um. I would say there's very low probability of that. Very low. Um, they are not in a state in which you would expect them to win anytime soon, in large part due to all the things you were just talking about, about their, their issues on the offensive and defensive line. Um, in order for Jim to be successful, uh, he has to play a very specific style of football, which is owning the line of scrimmage. And I don't think he would be able to do that in Denver. He wouldn't want to be tied to a contract with his quarterback where you've got questions about whether the quarterback should even be playing or not. Meanwhile, you're paying him, you know, ungodly amounts of money against your cap. Um, It's a new ownership group that hasn't really ironed itself out in terms of who has the power, who doesn't have the power, who's making the decisions, what type of organization are we going to be? Are we going to prioritize winning or are we going to prioritize a new stadium? Are we going to renovate the current stadium? There's so many questions around the Broncos right now. I just, there's no way Jim Harbaugh would take the Broncos job. Not only did he say that he's kind of done with the flirtation of the NFL, but even if he were to entertain, or, or have a flirtation with the NFL, it would be for a job that was much more stable and, and had pieces within the organization and the team, and specifically the quarterback, that were built to go out and succeed right away. And I don't think that that's the case with the Denver Broncos. As much as that pains me, by the way, this is a very proud franchise. Think about where, where, where we've fallen, guys. Like, I never thought I would see the day where the Denver Broncos were were in a game with the Kansas City Chiefs late and everyone thought that was great. Like what the what the actual you know what are we doing? Uh yeah, that's that's where we that's what happens when you lose to somebody thirteen straight times. So well now fourteen straight times. Real quick before we move on from Harbaugh. Just, just knowing Harbaugh the way you do. So if if Jim sat down for that first meeting with with you Russell, you guys set me up like I'm like stepbrothers friends with him. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just saying that you probably, 
you know, know him as well as anybody could know him because so, he's that well, strange. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not disagreeing, but I, I'm just chuckling at this. You know, everyone's like, you you know this man. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I don't vacation with him, but, uh, yeah, I know him so, about as well as any broadcaster could. So if, if if he's sitting down from Russell Wilson that first meeting and he says, so, Russ, uh, what, what do you oh, got? I know exactly what, how that means. What, what do you got, what do you got to do better? And Russ says, let's go more touchdowns. Yeah, I know that. What, what, but what do you need to do better? And then Russ answers by saying something uh, like, "Yeah, something like, well, you know, we just need to, uh, we just need to focus, you know, and and keep believing." What would Jim's? Uh, how would that? How would that conversation go? Well, I don't think we would even get to that. I think you guys are missing the 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 actual entry point of the conversation. <laughs> okay. I don't think it would get to anything resembling that. First, it would be quick. Staring contest, go, (laughs) and then it would just like there would be fireworks of staring contest going on, Um, and then Jim would say like, "Hey man, what's your deal?" And Russell would be like, "Not much, man. What's your deal?" Very excited, and then Jim would think that that was you know an offense, and so he'd be like, "What's your deal?" And then they would just shout, "What's your deal?" back and forth at each other after the staring contest. I don't think it would go much further past that <laughs> how how long have you uh, been engaged in a staring contest with jim harbaugh um, and who blinked first i did get him to look away one time first and it was this year when i kept asking him like who the actual play caller was on offense and he kept saying like well you know it's both of them and i was like yeah, yeah. i was like that's that's nice um and then i was like third down tomorrow you know, third and 10, 35-yard line, waning moments of the third quarter, who calls the play? And he's like, eh, you know, it's a, it's a collaboration. And I just sat there with my arms folded looking at him. And then he finally turned to Gus. And I was like, winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> How long did it last? How long was that, that? I mean, it felt like an eternity, Mike, but it was probably more like three seconds. But you won. But three seconds in the staring contest with Jim Harbaugh. Is like an eternity in, in dog years or human years for that matter. All right, let's move off of Jim Harbaugh then because you say that in your words. I mean, no, no chance, no chance of Jim Harbaugh taking this, this, no, this job. I, okay. Guys, I, who wants this job right now? Well, let me ask you about this guy. Again, somebody you've worked with, you know what he's like as a coach, Sean Payton. Is Sean Payton exactly? Is Sean Payton exactly what Russell Wilson needs? Why not, guys? Time out! Time out! Time out! I believe that you are are you are in the quicksand of 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 local uh, bias is the wrong term, but like no, nobody wants the job. Like it's not a good job. You cannot get a good name like a Sean Payton or a Jim Harbaugh. Those guys can be selective. They have leverage. This is this is a job for a guy that's desperate to get a head coaching job. He doesn't care where he's going. He just wants to be a head coach desperately. He feels it's his time. He feels like he can go and do it at that place, even though he probably can't. I hate to say it, like. Do you, do you guys think that I'm wrong? If you think I'm wrong and that this is a good job, please explain yourselves. Yeah, I think I think it comes down to if you have options like a Jim Harbaugh or a Sean Payton, um, 
this is last on your list of places to go to. And, oh, by the way, you'd sit out another year until something else better came along. So I I completely agree and concur. So does it make sense? Do you have to fire Nathaniel Hackett? Could you run it back? Could you, like, if if you're just getting another guy that nobody knows, like, what's, what's your answer then? I don't know if I have an answer. That's a great. That's a great question. I can sit here and rant and rave and tell you that I that I don't think it's a good job, but at the same time, the status quo is 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 atrocious. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett is is cut out for this. If you change this position and you bring in somebody else that also is totally unproven and maybe not cut out for this, then then what does that do? Um, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I, I I'm not sure. Does Ron- if I were, oh, I'm sorry, if I were the like, okay, I think. Well, first of all, if I was making the decisions, I don't think Hackett would have made it this long. To be honest with you, he's been a, a pretty, pretty much a. I, I know that this is going to sound harsh. He's failed. No. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, I don't think he would be the. If I was the decision maker, over in Dove Valley he would not currently be the head coach, which speaks to some of the issues of like, well, you know, what's the direction? There's not many organizations that overcome, you know, uh, ownership turmoil. And I'm not saying this is bad ownership. We just don't know. I don't, I don't know what their philosophy is. It seems like they were a lot more interested in like who's in the ownership group than they were. How are we going to, um, lead and and organize and move forward. You know, like what's the vision of the organization? I'm not sure. They they're all patting themselves on the back for creating this big, large, you know, ownership group. But what's the vision going forward? And I think that's part of the problem. Not many organizations in any sport overcome ownership. Visit with Joel Cloud. What kind of coach does Russell Wilson need then? I think he needs a coach that's going to be a no-nonsense, like my way or the highway, you're the player, I'm the coach style of guy. Um, I think that that's what ultimately was or what made him successful in Seattle. And if he doesn't like that, then, you know, I think that you would show him the door. But this this version of Russ was a total failure this year in Denver, giving him his own office giving him all these special perks, you know, like I just, he needs somebody that's going to come in there and, and lay down the law and treat him like everybody else on the team. And I, and I know that you're going to treat people differently at times. And I'm fully aware of that. And I fully expect that to be the case, but I don't think that it can go overboard. And, and to be honest, I think that there was just a bridge too far in terms of what this guy was demanding and expecting and been given. Um, and I think he would need a style of coach that comes in and just says, this is how we're going to play. If you don't want to play pound sand, you know, like there's the door. And and if you do, and if you want to win, and if you want to, you know, have a legacy, then you're going to do it this way. Um, maybe that's too hard nosed. Maybe that's not the modern style, but whatever happened this year certainly uh, can't sustain itself moving forward. Uh, Joel, I always had during the course of my career um, a coach, and it was always the old line coach wherever I was, that was kind of the guy who was the bad cop, right? I mean, he was the guy that held everybody accountable in the room, and 
I told Mike this earlier. I've seen Alex Gibbs in a team meeting go after John Elway for not carrying out a boot fake and just absolutely eviscerate him in front of the whole team. And so we always had that guy. Can you change some of the coaching staff, and can you bring in that guy? Have you, have, have, do you have experience with that? Did you have a guy uh, on any of the teams that you played in that was kind of the uh, hold-everybody-accountable coach? Of course. I think every, every quality team has that. You know, and, and in college, that doesn't have to be an on-field coach. Remember, like, the strength coach can be that guy or, or someone on the strength staff, and, and they can set a culture uh, as well because those players are going to spend as much or more time with them uh, than anybody. Generally speaking, the bad cop needs to be somebody that is that is not your position coach. You know, so that role needs to be shared at times. You know, or if if like let's say your your O line coach is the bad cop, there's generally like at least somebody else, like a quality control assistant or somebody that can kind of keep the sentiment of the room. I don't know if that was ever your experience. And remember though, Mark, like you played and then I played even to a certain extent in a very different era mm-hmm. where coaches could, I, I don't want to say treat players poorly, but they could hold a standard that was uncomfortable for players and players didn't have the avenues to go and complain that they do now um, throughout college or, or the NFL. But I think you're, you're exactly right. When it comes to the chemistry of a team, and, and the accountability of a team, generally speaking, you need a bad cop on the co- on the coaching staff. And then when it really turns into something special, the accountability is actually held within the locker room. And that's what I think uh, is is a, a giant failure of what this Broncos team is. Is that there's I don't think that there's any accountability within the locker room. Um, I, I don't think that there's that player or that leader where. Everybody is scared of that player. And, you know, for, for whatever reason, and, and that's clearly not the case in this Broncos team and maybe not for a number of years. Joel, over the last uh, decade or so that you've really immersed yourself in, in, in television and, and college football, I'm, I'm wondering, did your path with uh, Mike Leach uh, cross that much? And uh, what, what, yeah, then please tell us, uh, tell us about Mike Leach. Oh, man. Um, One of one. You know, I know that gets thrown out a lot, but he is certainly one of one. There's no one that you could compare Mike Leach to except for Mike Leach, um, which is, you know, a great compliment. I will say that I've been reflecting on a lot of our interactions. You know, I used to talk to him a lot at spring meetings, and and we would laugh, and, and, you know, he was just one of the most genuine people that I've, been around in this industry. I will tell you just from a football perspective, a couple of stories. The the first is the first time that I ever covered him as a broadcaster. I played against him when I was uh, playing and then covering him as a broadcaster, you know, obviously I was, I was excited because you hear a lot of stories about Mike and he's on a conference call and it's like 10 AM on a Wednesday and like he's in his car and I'm like, what? And I was like, where are you headed? And I thought maybe he was going to say a luncheon or something like that. And he, he just says, like, oh, I'm going into the office. I was like, into the office at 10 a.m.? And he's like, yeah, you know, we get, we got a little different program down here. And I just thought it was great. And he was totally unapologetic about it and, and totally himself. And then during the course of that conference call, 
you know, he's, he's kind of hemming and hawing at a pretty simple question. And I was like, what's going on right now? He seems distracted. And then sure enough, he's like, hey, hey, clap, hold on a second. And I was like, yeah, you know, no problem. And then you can tell he kind of leans out his car window and he's like, I'll take a large coffee and uh, don't put any uh, cream in that. I don't want any cream. And, and please, no sugar, just the black coffee, please. And then he leans back and he's like, okay. And I'm like, this is to- a total first. I've never done a production meeting conference call with a coach in the drive-through, and that was Mike. You know, he just he didn't care what anyone thought about the way that he did business. And then the, the the last story was in the same vein, but it was something that was much more impactful to to games and teams that we remember. In 2008, they had a terrific team at Texas Tech. Michael Crabtree was a Blitnikoff Award-winning wide receiver. Graham Harrell was their quarterback, and they ended up finishing 11-1. and And during that year, they played Texas in a game in Lubbock. And it's, a, it's you know, everyone remembers that game. Crabtree caught a, a touchdown pass down the right sideline in double coverage. What they don't know is that that play was weeks and weeks in the making. And I was told the story that weeks before that play, Mike believed that his team wasn't good enough at running go routes and completing the go ball, the nine route. And so he decided one day in practice that they were just going to run go routes. That was it. That was the only play that they were going to be allowed to run the entire day, whether it was routes on air, one-on-one, seven-on-seven, team. That's all they were going to run. It was just the same play for the entirety of the the whole practice. They weren't going to practice a run play. It was just go routes. They were going to pass protect go routes. They were going to throw go routes regardless of coverage. And during the course of the practice, Crabtree's out there, and he's probably run four or five miles by this point, you know, of just go routes, just constant, constant, constant go routes. And some of the coaches were like, Mike, like, we can't do this. Like, you can't do this. And he looked at him, and he was like, why not? And, and that sentiment of why not seeped into everything that he did. And in this you know, sport, a lot of times guys are so afraid to think outside of the box because if they do, they can be criticized. And and so they, they constantly do things only the way they've always been done, only in the effort to not be criticized. And Mike turned to his assistants and he said, you know, at some point we're going to have to throw a go route against a coverage that we don't want to, and it has to be successful. Well, now you fast forward a few weeks, and they're playing Texas, and they need it. And what do they call? Four verticals. They call four go routes. That ball is going to go to Michael Crabtree, and Michael Crabtree is totally double-covered, bracket-covered. They've got a guy over the top. They've got a guy underneath, and they're trying to throw a go ball to the far uh, from the far hash all the way to the sideline. And they had thrown so many of those, not only that day, but in the subsequent weeks uh, in, in practice that Graham Harrell and Michael Crabtree knew exactly how to complete the goal ball against bracket coverage. He catches the ball, makes a move, and scores a touchdown, and they win the game. And maybe one of the most iconic moments in Texas Tech football history and really in college football history, at least in, in, in the modern era. And it all happened because Mike was willing to think outside of the box with the mindset of, why not? He was one of one, guys, and I'll truly miss him. Um, he, he's a guy that will be sorely missed. Well said. Well that's, said. That's a great. That is a great story. Awesome. That's awesome. Joel, Thanks, Joel. Thank you. We'll see you again next week. Have a good one, guys. All right, Joel Klatt, lead college football analyst at uh, Fox Sports, presented by Audi Flatirons. That's awesome. One on one. Why not? Why not? 
Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com. 